How many of you watched Star Wars as a child and dreamed of jumping into an X-Wing and defeating the bad guys? How many of you pretended to do it in your own backyard or bedroom? Today's guest, Ali Ghaffari, not only dreamed it, but he also made it happen. Ali Ghaffari is a doer. He is a career naval officer, earned a double master's in philosophy and theology, and most recently founded a K-4-8 through classical Catholic school in Pasadena, Maryland. College is a bubble. We're here to pop it. The Albertus Magnus Institute is reinventing the academy, offering education that's as free as it is free. Welcome to the Magnus Podcast. With your help, we are liberating the liberal arts. Now, your hosts, John Johnson and Larissa Bianco. And welcome back to the Magnus Podcast. John Johnson here, joined by AMI's marketing director, Larissa Kraft. How you doing, Larissa? I'm doing well. Glad to be here. Glad to be here as well. We have a very special guest today, and it's it's this very true stereotype, as many many stereotypes can be, but those who teach cannot do. You've heard this, Larissa. You've heard this expression. Those who teach cannot do. Yeah. If you cannot do, you teach, right? So, right. so teachers are just yeah, typically rather inept humans. And, and this is not the case I've found with classical educators. A- apart from me, the rest, the rest of you people are very competent individuals in many ways, very well-qualified professional humans. Our guest today is Ali Ghaffari, and he definitely breaks the mold when it comes to doing and teaching, as many classical educators do. Ali, welcome. Thank you, John. Great to be here with you. So you are, and this is great because of the movie coming out, but you are a former F-18 pilot. You run a consulting business and you run a classical uh, school, right? Yeah, that, that's all true. It's as hard to fathom as it is. Yeah, that's it, true. Well, it's beautiful. So weave that together for us. Just tell us a little bit about your path in life. It's pretty interesting to me. Sure. Um, I, I guess I'll start at the end and say I'd never imagine myself starting a classical school or being its you know president or principal or headmaster never never occurred to me um, but w- when I did start uh, in life one of my dreams was to be uh, a fighter pilot um, and uh, inspired by Star Wars and Luke Skywalker and his x-wing fighter saving the the galaxy and um, and I got to live that dream which was was really cool um, and, um, but starting the school, I found that, you know, find, finding, um, a classical school has been better than my career in the Navy ever was. Uh, and, uh, I love it and I love being here every day. So it's been a long winding road and happy to dig into, you know, any part of that that you'd like, but overall, yeah, well, kind of all of it, give us more. So you, so you were classically educated as a kid or no, did you fall into that later in life? Oh, definitely later. So in fact, classical education was integral to my conversion to the Catholic faith. So I was raised um, in public school. Uh, I had, uh, my mom was a single mom uh, based when I was three years old, my parents divorced and she became a drug addict and alcoholic. And uh, she was in rehab. I was in basically foster care with some family for a while. And then she met my stepdad and then Education became primary when I was around eight, nine, 10 years old, um, but still it was public school. And then I went off to 
to private school into Phillips Academy Andover uh, for a few years, a couple of years there, and then to Colby College. Um, but even through all of that, and Colby is a, a liberal, self-proclaimed liberal arts school, but even through that, I wouldn't say that I really had much interaction with the classics. Uh, but it was around that time where, when I graduated Colby that I was first introduced to Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, uh, and real good, good works, good texts. And those, for me, um, revealed the idea that truth existed and that we ought to live lives of virtue. And for me, that was news. Uh, it shouldn't have been, but it was news and it was good news. And I was really um, relieved to know that there was there was a way I had to live my life. And that was integral in my conversion to the Catholic faith. And, um, and so I wanted to, uh, you know, felt passionate about how that led me out of a life of just kind of misery and happiness into this whole new creation and loving it. I wanted to spread that and share that. And I got the opportunity to do with starting the school. Wow. And how long has the school been in existence and how are you guys doing now? We're doing great. This is our, we just, we're completing our third academic year. So four years total. Um, and the first year of planning was a really hard year. It was really hard to, um, you know, you know, children are people's, you know, they're, their treasures, right? And so to have them trust uh, an experimental school or an idea of something and, and you know, want to get on leading edge, just not everybody, not everybody's just willing to do that. And so yep. um, it was a slog to get to get teachers, to get students. Um, at one point in time, I just said, hey, Lord, I need, I need 20 kids. Um, and I ended up with 19 uh, that first year. And then the 20 was actually discerning on the last day before school started ultimately discerned out, but that's 20th student has joined us since then. So we get the 20, uh, and then we had uh, four tutors and uh, two were full-time and a few part-time. That was that first year. The second year we're at 45, uh, students and nine tutors year three or 91, uh, students and, uh, 15 tutors next year, we're going to be over 120, uh, with about uh, 17 to 20 uh, teachers. So, uh, wow. really well. You're going parabolic. So this is Divine Mercy Academy in Maryland, K through eight. So if you're in the Maryland, uh, where exactly in Maryland are you? We're in Pasadena, Maryland. Pasadena, Maryland, not to be confused with Pasadena, California. <laughs> and and things are going really well for the school and you're growing and that's beautiful. What sort of response have you seen from families, parents, students who weren't initially familiar with the treasures of classical learning? and liberal learning? And, and in what ways are their eyes open to this treasure? Yeah, I think initially um, we got a lot of um, kids who it just wasn't working in other schools. And they said, hey, we'll just give this a try. They may not have really understood what classical education is or the beauty of it or why it's valuable. Um, and um, But when they got their kids in here, and the same thing happened with COVID. So kids were fleeing COVID because of um, you know, masking mandates or just the online learning or whatever. And they were just fleeing those situations to come into something other than what they were experiencing at that time. And very pleasantly surprised to discover uh, the classical education in the kind of environment where you're focusing on the virtue uh, and, and you know, building children up to become the best version of themselves where they can become good human beings, first and foremost, critical thinkers, uh, and then, you know, able to versatile enough with that critical thinking to be able to do anything you would want them to do 
you know, if it's a physician or an engineer or an attorney or whatever, yeah, they can do that. Um, but first of all, they're, they're good people. And so a lot of uh, families just coming in, maybe not with the right, you know, thoughts, but then leaving and say, this is fantastic. And I need to tell my friends about it. And that's, I think, the explanation for our growth, because we have not really advertised much at all. Um, but we've doubled essentially in size every year. Wow. wow. Did did a lot of these families take convincing? Or did you have objections you had to overcome? I mean, uh, I, you know, we get them all the time. Uh, but but how about you? What what objections did you have to deal with and how did you do it? Yeah, we do get um, it, it does take some convincing for some folks. If they have no experience with classical education, we show them a classroom that doesn't have a lot of technology in it or, you know, isn't focused on just the sciences. You know, someone's really wants their child to get into medical school uh, or, you know, they wanted to make sure that they can understand how to use technology um, and, um, you know, or they're doing all those things that need, they need to do to, to rock the SAT, ACT to get into the high school of their choice in college. And so they're very focused on academics, uh, which is understandable. It seems to be I mean, and I grew up in this, you know, where it's, it's all about where you go to college, you know, your, your pedigree, yep. and your, what's your job, but, um, but for those folks just saying, Hey, we've got statistics to show that kids who are classically trained, crush the SAT, they crush the ACT, they get to whatever high school they want to, they, if they go back into public school, they dominate there and then they have their choice of college after that. Uh, and that puts them at ease in some ways we can show them the statistics um, but also when they come in and they see how happy the kids are, their kids just like the, if you walk through the hallways, it's just a walking advertisement for the school. The kids are happy. Like they're joyful. They're relaxed. They're enjoying what they're doing. They're into the material. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that for them, I think answers a lot of like reservations or, or, you know, cause they just see these yeah. kids are really excited to be at school. Uh, and yeah. so you're excited. You're going to learn, you're going to learn really well and you're going to be engaged in the material. And so, so I think that, you know, uh, may answer your question. Yeah. I'm going to jump in real quick. It's so much a part of the culture of the school to be Catholic and classical. Can you talk a little bit about some of the things you told me? Can you tell our listeners about some of those norms that are part of your school? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, we have to be different. We have to offer something different uh, from the world. And I think that's been, in my mind, one of the failures of Catholic education and perhaps the greatest failure is to, to strive too hard to be like the public schools. And so we offer something that's so different, uh, that you either love it or you don't. Uh, and we find that when we're looking at faculty, we find that when we're looking at for students who are coming to the school, either they love it or they don't. We had a family who, who came in and actually discerned out of the school about a month into the school, they said, your school is too Catholic. We just thought it was like every other Catholic school where you'd have a religion <laughs> class and then you would have, yeah. uh, you know, your history or your science or whatever. And it was just one piece of it. But, you know, we think that there's uh, Catholicism throughout all of the classes. And we think that may be too much and it may prevent our children from learning. Uh, and so I, that last part, I didn't agree with them about, but uh, but I was in some ways, very pleased that they discerned that our, our school is very Catholic. And so what does that look like for us? For us, we start the day off. You just, as a faculty, we start off the day with prayer uh, and we pray together. We pray for each other. Uh, and then when the kids come in we welcome them and we go over and we pray the rosary with the parish um, every, every day, five days a week. Uh, and then we have mass 
um, every day, five days a week. And then we come back and we'll say the Pledge of Allegiance and, and do an additional prayer or two specific to a class. And then we have our, our classes, which may or may not have prayers at the beginning if it's a new class or whatnot. All of the teachers are serious, committed Catholics. Um, and so uh, everything is this is very consistent across the board with regard to our expectations and what we believe. They'll come out, they'll pray the Angelus before lunchtime, uh, and then they'll go out and they'll have lunch and recess. We'll come back in for a couple more hours of uh, class, and then we pray the Divine Mercy Chapel at the end of the day, um, and uh, wow. they're praying together. So there's prayers infused throughout the day. Uh, it's a very Catholic environment, but it's a joyful one. Not all the kids are Catholic. Some of the kids are not Catholic. Uh, probably 25 to 30% of them are not, but we want to present a Catholicism that's fun, that's energetic, that that's infectious, that people want to be uh, Catholic. Where do you find your teachers? Because a lot of a lot of founders, it seems, have this great idea and a great vision, but then executing it tactically is very difficult because finding the right breed of human to teach courses who are who are well versed in the classics and liberal education pedigree and some Catholic ethos about them, was it hard to find, or did you have an, uh, no problem? Uh, I mean, that's a great question, and I guess. I feel like I don't have a great answer for it because they're just coming to us. Um, it's when you uh, when you offer this something that's so different. Um, that's either something that people say I want that and I want to be a part of that, uh, and so they 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 find us on on the website or through um, talking to other friends of theirs who have experience with our school. I mean, I've put an occasional ad out on CatholicJobs.com. I've got something on ICLE, but I can't say that we really received much of anything uh, from those portals. It's really word of mouth uh, and people searching for, you know, maybe they've heard of us or something and uh, they, they find us. So yeah. Um, speaking yeah. of ICLE, uh, Andrew Seeley, their founder, he's a board member for AMI as well. They just announced, this is a, a shameless plug for, for ICLE, but they just announced a national teacher credential program. Did you hear about this? I did. I'm very excited about it. I've been uh, tracking it for probably about a year now. Once they started their uh, their pilot program, I said, "Hey, is there any way at all that we can get this in Maryland? Because I want to put all my teachers through it." And so, um, so yes, I'm following it closely. And I think my goal will be to send all of my teachers through that program so that we continue to just build a robust. Class. Absolutely, yeah. And it could even be a farm system for you guys. I'd imagine with your rate of growth, you're hiring all the time, right? That's true. It, we are hiring. And as we, so this coming year, we'll have one class per grade. And then the next stage for us will be to split into, I, we'd like to do boys classes and girls classes in each grade. So we'll need to double here in the next probably two to three years with the number of teachers. So, And you guys are, I said K-12 earlier, you're K, K-8 or K-12? We're K-8. We're K-8. K-8. Okay. Sorry about that. And I know, I know in the fellowship, at least a few teachers who are sort of classically trained, but in sort of fish out of water environment, like they're not in a great school right now. So conversely, if there are any teachers right now who are looking for a really solid, well-rooted home, and they're willing to live in Pasadena, Maryland, uh, they can give you a call, I'd imagine. Absolutely. We're in search of a third grade tutor right now. Uh, so if you uh, if you like teaching third grade, we'd love to hear from you. Do you want to pay people more? Because that's another problem. Is it attracting talent at these great schools? You know, a lot of decent education models just pay their teachers garbage. I won't name names, but especially in the K-8 uh, arena, 
and the classics and even Catholic uh, co-ops and such, they're notoriously terrible for remunerating their staff. Have you taken a different approach? Yeah, that's a great question. In my mind, um, you know, teaching ought to be something that's well compensated because you have such impact on the next generation. That job is so important. And for our folks, it's not simply a job. It's a vocation. They give everything they have. Uh, their dedication is just uh, infused throughout the day uh, and everything they do. And so, so my desire for them is to have, to be at a state of income where money is not an issue for them, where they don't have to be concerned about, gosh, you know, we need to pinch pennies or I can't do this or I can't do that because I don't make enough money or I'm stressed about bills or whatnot. And so now that, you know, is balanced with the, um, the reality that we're bootstrapped. So we, we didn't have any money to get started. So, uh, so everything that, you know, we pay each year, uh, and we did not want to go into debt in any way, shape or form too. So, so it's, we simply exist off of the student tuition and, uh, donations from generous folks who, who see what we're doing and value it. And so, so my goal has always been to try to bump up teacher salaries as fast as possible, yeah. Uh, but that, that stretches against expanding this, the, the number of faculty too, because, you know, we need more teachers so we can reduce the workloads. Uh, and then, then we need supplies. We need a bigger facility. So there's a lot of pressures on it. Uh, and so we're still working our way through that, but my end goal is not for them to be poorly compensated, but for them to be well compensated. And you're still committed to keeping education affordable for your students. So you're not gouging these families, which I think is very impressive. Tell us more about that. Yeah, for sure. So our, you know, our goal for me, so I'll just go back to why this is the case, at least philosophically. For me, I grew up in a, in a family that didn't have uh, means. And so I needed financial aid to pretty much to do everything, uh, to get into private high school, to get into college, uh, to go on trips and whatnot. And so uh, you know, without the generosity of some incredible people, you know, I wouldn't have had nearly the opportunities that I've had in my life. And, and so I know that uh, there are many times that families don't have financial means and it's not their fault. Uh, and, uh, and it doesn't mean that their kids aren't deserving or wouldn't take advantage, good advantage of opportunities given their way. And that those opportunities couldn't then elevate them and bring the whole family out of uh, the situation that they're in with the financial, financial stress. And so in, in my mind, I don't want to turn away any child who desires this education, who would be uh, able to take uh, advantage of it and then, and then, you know, do great things with their life. And so, so we've made that commitment that we won't turn anyone away financially. And what does that mean for us without having scholarships in the bank? It just means that we take less money, right? And so we have to, fi- we have to figure it out. We either pinch, money's, uh, pinch pennies elsewhere, we, we bring donors in to help us out uh, or, uh, or whatnot, but um, but as far as tuition is concerned, we've set ourselves up where on par, or slightly less that we charge than our diocesan schools, um, and you know, and we'll just we'll try to maintain some pacing on there, um, and we'll just see we'll see where it goes. Uh, but it's a constant tension between teacher salaries, as you pointed out, you know, giving scholarships for kids, uh, paying paying bills, and then keeping that low for for families to afford. It's beautiful. Uh, do you have plans to expand? beyond Maryland? I mean, the model seems replicable. If you had a mega millionaire listening to the Magnus podcast right now that wanted to give you a little something to come somewhere else, would you take it? Yeah, I think I would. Um, I think that 
this school is definitely replicable. The, the philosophy behind it um, and how different it is, is attractive to a lot of people. And I've, I get phone calls probably monthly or, or more um, of folks who are saying, how do, I, how do I get started? What do I need to do? What is it that you guys are doing um, and helping them kind of understand our, the way we uh, in, you know, envision education and why it's successful um, and why, you know, and they're already sold generally when they call me, um, but just to, to share with them our vision and why, you know, why it's working. Um, and I think, you know, that, that's my goal. I think the Super Bowl for me, the Super Bowl victory would be to have all schools to be classical, classically uh, modeled schools, because I just think that this educational model far uh, is far superior to what we've got right now in our schools predominantly. In and country. it's working. I wish every bishop would just take note and see, okay, I've got all these Catholic schools in my diocese that are absolutely dying on the vine, going bankrupt, being subsidized, and just producing rotten fruit all too often. That's that's the blunt truth of it. And then they could see something that works, that's solvent, that's growing 100% year over year. Why not do that? I mean, why not? Why, what do you th- what do you think the the obstacles are to really doing education the right way, especially in Catholic settings in America today? Yeah, um, I have to. I mean, I have to make a guess, but um, you know, my guess part of it is fear of change. Uh, I think there's that natural human element where you know we've done this this way for a, a period of time, and what might happen if we change things? Uh, and I and I think that you know other factors involved in that are the expense of running a school. You know, it used to be that nuns were running uh, a lot of yep. these schools and nuns are fairly inexpensive, right? Uh, and then you have to pay. Now you got to pay for, for laity to come in and teach and that costs money. And then now you're concerned with the financial element. That's that's kind of superseded the mission of the school, which was to, you know, in, in my, in our reckoning is to make saints, right? And so if you're not making saints, you're not, why exist? Uh, and so I think that the financial element, perhaps in, uh, in some cases, probably maybe in many cases has taken over the forefront of our, we need to get basically kids in seats in the classrooms. And along with that, when you have a large student population that is not Catholic or not looking for, they may want, they may be there because of the Catholic environment. We want a virtuous environment where kids are going to be safe and they're going to learn and whatnot, uh, but they, we don't want all the Catholic stuff. Right. And so then you get that right. pushback from those families. And then all of a sudden now you have a choice to make. Do I, continue and make a stand and say, no, this is a a Catholic school, a Catholic institution, and you can, you're free to leave it if you want to. Um, And then take that risk of losing all of that tuition. And all of a sudden, what does that happen to my teachers? What does that happen to my program? Do I have to close this? Uh, And I, my, my belief based on what I've seen is that they're not ready yet. Not, uh, this is not all of them. There are some bishops who bravely stepped down and said, we're going to do this, but those who haven't, and some of those who haven't have said, i I'm concerned that we may we may lose the farm if we make that call, and I'm just here uh-huh. to, to say making that call is the right thing to do, and God is rewarding is rewarding us. And it is. Like and I I used dec or not a day almost a decade ago. I worked in a in a diocesan parish school parish setting, it, but I can tell the way you know it change is not easy to to the old guard of these of these schools, right? And I think with Divine Mercy Academy, you would probably agree you had to do this from the ground up. You could not have come in as a consultant or come in as, as a, uh, 
uh, sort of revi- revival to an existing school and done what you're trying to do. This had to be done from scratch. Yeah, you're absolutely right about it. I spoke with the chancellor of schools here uh, briefly, and we floated the idea of being a program within a program. And um, I just didn't think that we would get traction that way. Um, and part of it is, you know, I, I am a, I'm a Navy pilot uh, and, uh, and a leadership instructor uh, going into an archdiocese and, and telling them, you know, we should do this. You know, they're just going to laugh me out of the building because this year you're eminently unqualified to to do anything with regard to education. Right? Why yeah, how did you do that? I mean, you're, you're just a guy who wanted a school and so you made it happen. Yeah, there's so many Catholics, especially are willing to complain and be outraged about things. And you're a guy who, instead of complaining and outrage, you just did it and mm-hmm. it's working. So yeah. how, how'd you pull that off? I, I think, I, you know, my Navy training has been very helpful, you know, in the Navy, they you're doing things that are out of the ordinary and you just get it done on a daily basis. So you, they give you a lot of responsibilities. You feel very confident to be able to make things happen. Um, but also the leadership training and expertise made me feel comfortable organizing people and getting people in places. And so, and so as a leader, it's not your, your job to be an expert in any one thing. It's simply to manage the people and to surround yourself with people who are experts. And so I will tell you, I've clearly had never started a school before. I didn't know the first thing about starting a school when I got started. I didn't know how anything worked, um, but there were amazing people that were attracted to the vision. I could set a vision. Uh, and I could attract people and sell people on a vision. And they stepped in and those folks who had the expertise then did the things that were needed to be done in order for it to work. And so uh, so I think where there's a will, there's a way. And I, you don't have to be a Navy fighter pilot to start a school. You just have to have a vision and a desire and, and a will and, and just gather some people around you to get it done. Wow. Pretty impressive. So you, you're equal parts. And Larissa, jump in anytime you want. You're, you're sort of equal part. I'm fascinated by your story. You're equal parts. Uh, well, fighter pilot, which is a really, most pilots I know are extremely risk averse engineering mindset. And they're sort of very, not the entrepreneurial type, but you're also definitely an entrepreneur. Uh, just, just square that circle for me real quick. How do you, how do you balance those two things? Well, it's my experience in aviation is that uh, even within the Navy, within different, um, we call them platforms, so uh, jet pilots versus, uh, uh, say, P-8 or P-3 pilots versus helicopter pilots, even within those you know, subsects of aviation, uh, there are different personalities. And part of that is you're attracted to that, that environment. Uh, you're formed within that environment. Uh, and so, so the jet pilots are more risk tolerant. I mean, if if you're gonna hurdle yourself in a small aircraft, yeah, I guess at, so. As soon as I see it at night in bad weather, you're gonna have you gotta to be, be something of a maverick, you might say. <laughs> you have to have a screw loose, or you have to have some willingness to be able to just you know put it all on the line and to not worry about it. Um, but so yeah, so there's there's an element there, but that's not to say a Navy helicopter pilot or a P P three or P eight pilot couldn't do the same thing because there's that there's still that mindset that I can do this, uh, I, that can do attitude that the Navy instills in you. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. I got a buddy who flies C-17s or whatever the big ones are, but this guy is not, you know, he's, he's not taking many risks in life, but that makes sense. The fighter pilot is willing to. So, okay. And, and then a classical educator, that's, that's such a beautiful 
combination of human being. And I'm so glad to see you're really, you're, you're not burying your talents, Ali. You're doing, you're doing good, good work. Tell us about the Frasati company, because this is another spoke in the wheel. Uh, I'm looking at your website right now and I can learn uh, coaching, communication. I, I can, I can, from a Navy SEAL and from you, a fighter pilot, mm-hmm. uh, just give us, give us the elevator pitch for the Frasati company for somebody who's impressed by your presentation today. Oh, sure. Well, um, we love helping leaders become better leaders because I think leadership is the key to, to all things. So if, you know, as Alexander the Great, he said, I, you know, I don't fear an army of lions led by a lamb, but an army of uh, lambs led by a lion. And um, I think that leadership makes all the difference in the world. Um, they set the vision, they empower their people They say, we're, this is where we're going and they lead, they lead from the front. And so many organizations, um, they survive or fail based upon the leadership that's present there. And yet leadership is not something that is, you're not born with leadership. You're born with qualities, which may help that, but no one is a born leader. Um, and so those leadership skills can be learned and they can be honed uh, through time. And you can do it to the school of hard knocks and that may take you several decades to get there. Uh, you can do it through a book, but then you need to practice it, right? You just can't take, the, you just can't be a theoretical you know, um, practitioner of leadership. And you have to really have to meld those two together where you're, you learn about leadership, you practice leadership, and then someone who's got that background in leadership can come in and say, Hey, let's apply this to your particular situation uh, and to help you along the path. And so that's what we do in the Frasati companies. We've got uh, folks who have led in combat. Uh, we've got one of our, um, you know, part of our network is General Whistler, who's a three-star Marine Corps general has led armies, the vast armies of soldiers and Marines into combat wow. in Iraq. Uh, we've got a, a Navy Admiral who is the head chaplain for the Marine Corps, uh, Admiral Bruce Baker. We've got a Navy SEAL, Sam Blair. Uh, we've got other folks who are not military uh, uh, folks as well. We've got folks who are PhDs, folks who are uh, um, in backgrounds in sales or in ministry. Um, but all of them are brought together out of love for leadership and a love for their Catholic faith. Um, not everyone is Catholic, but everyone loves the church, takes their faith very seriously, uh, and they take leadership very seriously. And so we love to help uh, organizations who want to be better uh, and want to be better at the leadership thing and want to have a, a healthier organizational environment. And because that makes all the difference. So I, you know, you know, we talked earlier, John, about the success of Divine Mercy Academy. Well, part of that is the mission and the vision, right? And part of that is just the leadership environment. And, and I, I don't want to toot my own horn, but we've set a good environment here where people love coming to work. Right? And that if you love yep. coming to work and you're put in a position where you're operating in your areas of strength, you're going to crush it. And so the, the whole place comes alive. Whereas if I didn't, if I didn't know how to do those things, probably wouldn't see as much success as we're seeing now. Amen. Larissa, you love coming to work. Do you think the Albertus Magnus Institute should hire the Frasati company to, uh, to coach <laughs> our leaders? And this is beautiful. I didn't know it existed until today, but yeah. so it's basically corporate leadership consultancy with a Catholic flavor. And yeah. it's, it's the real deal. You guys are actually pretty accomplished. Yeah, what do you think about all this, Larissa? I don't know how to answer that question without um, my boss is right here. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> that's fantastic. And I wanted to ask you, Ali, about leadership in your school, especially for 
middle school age children. Middle school is so hard. The requirements are changing. Expectations are going up. Um, they're going from child to young adult, which means leadership and responsibilities. So can you talk about how, I think we have a lot of listeners who have middle school age children. So how leadership can help them adjust to the changes and struggles that middle school's hard. Yeah. That's you, you put your finger on something that's, uh, that's been a challenge for us too. Uh, and our middle school has been our most difficult group of kids. And part of that is because we haven't been able to form them, right? They come in, you know, we were three years old. So they basically come in as an eighth grader or a seventh grader or sixth grader, and they're already formed or deformed based upon the, their background. Right. And so that's when that's been the heart and the meat of our challenges coming in, uh, into, into play here. And now it is a, a crucial, you know, time period in life where you're, you're growing out of childhood, you know, you're still a child, but you're, you know, your mind is turning to other things yes. um, and you're becoming less and less reliant, connected to your parents, right? They're, they have less influence in your life, much to our chagrin as parents. Um, and I know, you know, for me personally, and I think I've seen this with our middle schoolers as well, surrounding them with role models and mentors, strong people um, has been critical. And that's been really good for us. There've been a number of kids here who've had rough backgrounds that um, that I've been able to take under my wing or another teacher has been able, we spend extra time with them. We just really bring them in and give them some more extra care and feeding uh, an example of an, an alternative to what they've experienced so far in their life. Um, and what we found is while those kids don't immediately become saints over the course of that year, uh, they, they come, um, they make progress and they come part of the way we meet them part of the way. And while it creates headaches for us along the way, we think that's what our mission is to, to meet them where they're at and to bring them as far as they can go to help them along. But I really think that role models mentorship is, is crucial uh, and just leading by example uh, for them is crucial for establishing those relationships, helping them in that transition. I have a self-serving question. How do you spin, spin all the plates without them crashing down. I mean, I, I run other businesses and I try to give as much time as I can to AMI and Larissa can attest. I show up to our staff meeting saying, I'm sorry, guys, I'm not doing everything I can because I got X, Y, and Z going on, but you know, my team steps up, they do great, but it can be exhausting. And how do, how do you do it as, I mean, would you call yourself a generalist? Yeah, I think so. I think it's okay. pretty fair. I don't think I'm particularly awesome at anything. Um, but, um, I, but I, I guess maybe Same. the thing that I'm, uh, that I'm awesome at is living an efficient life. Um, and so for me, there is very little time wasted in my day. Like I don't watch television hardly at all, unless, you know, my wife asked me to watch television with her and the kids because that's our family time thing in which even that doesn't happen that often. Um, I wake up early in the morning. So, you know, right now my schedule is waking up at 4.50. I've got prayer time until 5.15. I wake my daughter up. We work out together from 5.15 until 6. From 6 until 6.45, we're waking the kids up and getting them ready. So we've got five five children getting ready for school. We're in the car between 6.45 until 7.25. We've got our staff meeting from 7.30 until 7.45. And then the day starts uh, with the class day. It may have 15, 20 minutes to check email during that time. Then it's mass and rosary. And then we're into our day and generally there are meetings scheduled. Um, I've got parents coming in or teachers I need to meet with. And that happens throughout the day. And there's very rarely any time that I'm not 
intentionally doing something, if it's building a relationship or having a meeting or getting something done that needs to be done for one organization or the other, um, I'm always doing that. And um, I do take a little time for myself on Tuesdays and Thursday afternoons. We have a self-defense instructor who comes in and teaches us mixed martial arts. So that's my uh, that's kind of my fun time uh, a couple times a week. And then um, but on the weekends, I have, you know, it's, it's my challenge is turning it off and to be able to just have fun time and just, you know, unstructured play with my kids. Like that's my challenge is to just be like, okay, I'm not working right now. I am playing with my kids and I'm going to do this. Uh, and so that's, that's a struggle for me to do that. And so, um, wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll everything start, is so intense. doing all of those things then. <laughs> just kidding. All right. Sorry, Larissa, go ahead. Oh, no, that's okay. I just, I was just commenting on how every part of your day is so intentional. Nothing is, it's just, this is it. And you're intentional with everything. Yeah, you have to be. And then it's, if I find myself with nothing that I'm doing at that moment, or or what can I be doing where I'm doing two things at the same time or where I'm waiting for something, what can I be doing right now? And just trying to boom, cram all that in to be as efficient as possible. It was that hard to cultivate at first. Was it something that came, came along in, in Navy, Navy training? Uh, was it painful? Is it easy now? Virtue is tough at first and then it gets easy when it becomes virtue. Right. So where are you right now on the pain scale? Well, right now, right now I'm pretty much at my limit, uh, although coming down. So, you know, I think it started in childhood. My, my parents had me in sports, you know, my, when my mom married my stepdad, they had me in sports year round. So sports and then academics. And so I always had to, um, to balance a lot of things going on at any one time. And then I went to, went away to high school for, to Phillips Academy and the workload there was immense. And so trying to get all of that work done all the time that continued at college at Colby, not only did I have a full course load, but I worked multiple jobs on campus as, uh, you know, research assistant, you know, in the, um, as a, uh, physical uh, therapist assistant, um, did internships. So I always had multiple plates spinning all the time. Uh, even in, in the summertime, I would work in multiple jobs. So I basically kind of worked my way up through that. And then in the Navy, I joined the Navy and then I started a master's degree, two master's degrees. In fact, back to back while I was just starting out in the Navy. Um, and then, um, then we had kids and, you know, through all that. So raising, you know, up to five kids, um, and then just getting out of the Navy the last year has been crazy with that. Now running the school, getting that built up and then the new company. And I just, I think finally I've hit my limit <laughs> where I just, I literally can't do anything more at this point in time. And it's actually great because, you know, in about three weeks, I've hired this uh, amazing uh, headmistress to come in and, and take that role. I've got an incredible admissions um, officer and fundraiser. She's going to take that role. So I'm going to divide both of those things out. And then I'll just be president of the, of the school. Uh, and I can just focus on working on and continue to improve the vision and uh, working on the company or on the on the school while focusing more time on the company so I can bring more money in uh, to support the school and support our, our family. Uh, so I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, that'll be a break for me to have one and a half jobs as opposed to wow. two. Okay. Lightning round. Favorite business book? Because I think you just referenced a couple of them. Gosh. Um the one, the one that made the the biggest impact on me was the five dysfunctions of a team. Uh, five, I'm not a five dysfunctions. Um, five habits of highly effective. Seven habits. Sorry, I, I read it when I was just out of college. 
Uh, and it just made, I never read, I have not read it since, but seven habits by Stephen Covey was biggest uh, impact on me as far as what do I want? What do I, what's my goal? Um, what do I want to say on my you know gravestone? What do I want life to look like? What are my goals and how do I do that? And then, and then planning that out uh, was majorly uh, effective uh, for me. Also, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad uh, made yep. an impact on me as well. Um, because, you know, growing up in a, in a, uh, financially challenged family, poor family, uh, money was always an issue for us. And so not wanting to have that same struggle throughout, uh, my life was, was important. And, um, and so those are, those are two just off the top of my head. Favorite book in the canon of great works. Mm. I love, uh, I love Plato. Uh, I, I love the, the dialogues, um, because they're so, they're so accessible. Uh, and, um, and, you know, it just, you can just, you can, it, it can be frustrating at times where he said, do we, did we ever really get to an answer about what, you know, love is or what this type of virtue is, but at the same time, I love kind of going through the discussion and the dialogue and the, the repartee going back and forth between one and the other and the other. Uh, and you really, you know, it's humorous at times. Um, and, uh, very do you have much a favorite dialogue. Um, I think the symposium, uh, would be, uh, yes. one if I, if I had to pick that. In fact, I like this so much that my, my, um, uh, for my wedding, my bachelor party, um, we all dressed <laughs> up as different characters. I know it's, it's going to get dangerous, but it's not, we all dressed up as different characters throughout history and gave a talk about a particular virtue. Uh, and it sounds so nerdy, um, but it turned out to be amazing. So we had, you know, Plato was there. We had Beethoven. We had um, St. Paul. We had all these different people dressed up uh, and taking the role of these amazing historical characters. Uh, and oh. they delivered a speech about love or whatever it was. And it was it was amazing. Uh, and I, I loved it. And so it was in the in the, the frame of the symposium. So oh, that's great. Favorite movie of the last 20 years. Oof, uh, favorite movie. You're probably thinking I'll go Top Gun, um, but Top, Top Gun's a, a classic. Although my wife hates watching it uh, with me because I ruin it. She'll be like, oh, that's totally, that, that's the wrong button. Or, that's not what he's doing. We would never do that. Um, yeah. In, in ruining Top Gun 2 for her when that comes out here shortly. But um, but I think movies, I love, um, I love Braveheart. Uh, I love those epic movies. Uh, like, you know, I, I love the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, those, those stories. I think they've been... Um, they probably did the best they could with the movies um, uh, to be honest. And, but they changed it and I don't love the movies, but I do love them more than other movies uh, because of the content, because the material is subject uh, material. And because it kind of brings you into this, this world, this kind of dark and foreboding world uh, where it's good versus evil. Uh, and then good, you know, despite all odds triumphs. Uh, and for me, that, that just sings to my heart. And I just love that. I love that story, uh, and I could I could watch that story in, in in a number of forms over and over again, and never get tired of it. Amen, uh, Larissa. Do you have any lightning round questions? I want to know briefly. Maybe you don't have time to answer this, and if you don't, just tell me. But how do you assess elementary school children? Mm, great question. So we have um, uh, we have a couple of folks who come in who've got a background. Uh, in assessment, who assess them, their reading levels and whatnot. Um, I think it's um, Orton Gillingham is one of the, the tools, but uh, those are for those folks who are struggling a little bit more. We do have another assessment. I'm blanking on it right now, so I couldn't 
I couldn't tell you what that is. Um, so that's pretty much it. There's not much. I know CLT is considering some lower school assessments, bringing that down. And I'll be really interested in hearing more about that um, and how that might be a, of service to us. But that's that's what we have for now. So hopefully, uh, sorry, not a not a. Oh, no, that's answer. okay. <laughs> One more. But, how do you? Yeah. Um, what are some of the most important books from middle schoolers? Must oh, read. That's a good question. That's a very good question. Our middle schoolers just read A Man for All Seasons, uh, which they loved. They absolutely loved that one. Uh, and they were able to act it out uh, in class. And for them, they then also had a debate upon whether it was the debate question was, should St. Thomas More um, uh, just uh, should he have just preserved his life and then been there as an advisor for uh, for King Henry VIII? Or should he have stood on principle? Uh, and so there was a the great that lesson that was learned there about the value of standing on principle and what that what that brings. He could have saved his skin, and, but would he have had the same impact not only on Henry VIII but on the rest of history with that you know with that example? What a good question! Because so, yeah. he could have been an advisor, you could argue, and, and basically subverted the Reformation before it even got off its feet. Yep. Wow. Absolutely. You're doing good work. I, I got to meet you in person. I'm so impressed by you. Thank and you. I'm, like, I'm genuinely, I'm going to look at your pricing here for the, for the Frisati company. Cause I, I could personally use your services uh, well, and think benefit quite a bit from them. How can we serve you at divine mercy Academy, especially AMI exists to unite the clans of liberal educators and pioneers in liberal learning like yourself. We exist to bring people together and really propel the culture into a new era of liberal learning, ransoming the captives of a broken college system, liberating the liberal arts. And we like to provide an online, we do provide an online uh, online course program for people like the students, your students' parents, for instance, who might want a piece of the action, but can't uh, re-enroll as a kindergartner at, at Divine Mercy Academy. Um, how, can, how can we serve you? And if if the answer is no, we'll just edit this part out and, uh, <laughs> and go with everything previous. No, I appreciate that. I think that um, for me, my biggest focus is um, understanding how cl- the classics are taught uh, and for my teachers. And the reason for that is not many of us were taught classically. And so we all have to yep. kind of learn from scratch. And so I have uh, and I'm, I think my problem, my challenge, not a problem, a challenge is similar to many other classical schools are starting up, which is how do we become more classical? How do we educate and form our, our teachers, our tutors to become uh, paragons of, of classical education where they can communicate that fully? Um, and so for me, you know, as a, you know, as an administrator in a classical school, say, how can I enrich the education and further deepen uh, my, my faculty's commitment to the classics, their effectiveness in the classroom and teaching the classics. How can I do that? How can I do it also within a budget uh, where I'm, I'm, you know, trying to balance a number of different things, you know, as we talked about earlier in the podcast. And so, and, uh, but I love, you know, what you said about parents too, because that's our next step for next year is starting to form our parents in the classics. So they understand the value of what their kids are getting. Cause there, there are some parents who don't understand that, right. Uh, as we, as we said, they just don't, this is just a different school. Uh, maybe it's close to the home or maybe it's Catholic, but you know, the classics, that part hasn't clicked in yet where they really value. No, no, this is a treasure. This is absolutely special. Uh, and this should be valued 
Um, and so, you know, helping them with that. And I think, you know, in our, in our model, and I don't know how your offerings would, would fit into this, but we'd like to meet with them once a month and maybe go over a different topic, you know, within classical education. Uh, and so maybe something that, um, you know, where we could show them something or lead a discussion uh, about some topic, um, you know, that would be cool. You know, we, you know, we had some yeah. training earlier in the year from the ICLE where they talked about the mathematics behind a stained glass window. Uh, and they talked about, you know, uh, you know, how, how it all came together and how it helps, you know, through sound and music, you know, and, and math and, art and uh, you know, teaching the scriptures and it was actually- oh that's cool that, and yeah. that's that's something that you can you can sort of bite off and you know and not it's not too much for a teacher the continuing education credits and say oh yeah we're going to sit down and read the whole republic cover yeah. to cover mm-hmm. uh that's that's beautiful yeah i think we can actually announce this larissa for the first time on the podcast but uh ami has just contracted with the archdiocese of denver to form their uh, secondary teachers, their high school teachers uh, for continuing education credits uh, through online learning in the great books. So we're taking that off this summer. So I might, I might consider expanding something like that to uh, lower grades and other dioceses if, if, if the opportunity presented itself. So uh, all I know is Ali, uh, I'm so glad that we met you today. I'm so impressed by your work and this is just the beginning. Will you come back on the Magnus podcast and answer even more questions? I'd love to anytime you want. All right. You're the man. Keep it up. And for those of you who want to find, or for those of our listeners who want to find your work, forsadicompany.com for your leadership coaching and divinemercy.md for the Divine Mercy Academy. And even if you're not in Maryland, uh, check it out and see if if you might learn from or be able to replicate the model because it's working clearly. All right, Ali, thank you so much. See you guys next time. Bye. Thank you, John. Thank you, Larissa. Thank you. The Magnus Podcast is a production of the Albertus Magnus Institute Incorporated. To learn more, way more, by becoming a fellow today, visit magnusinstitute.org. Copyright 2022, Albertus Magnus Institute, Incorporated. All rights reserved.